Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am. Let's go. Let's go to Chicago. Chi-town. Fred Hampton, a young charismatic activist, becomes chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, putting him directly in the crosshairs of the government, the FBI, and the Chicago police. But to destroy the revolution, the authorities are going to need a man on the inside. We are doing Judas and the Black Messiah, currently on HBO Max. On the Max. The particulars? Please. Sorry. Judas and the Black Messiah, it premiered at Sundance on February 1st. 2021 and it was released wide in theaters and hbo max on february 12th 2021 that's the thing huh apparently i there's some theaters open i guess not in new york and la but elsewhere apparently it's produced by charles d king who also produced sorry to bother you Mudbound and Fences, and Ryan Coogler, who produced Creed Two, the upcoming Space Jam, A New Legacy, and also is famous for directing Fruitvale Station, Creed, and a little film you may have heard of called Black Panther. It's directed by Shaka King. He also is the producer and co-writer. His previous directorial outings are a film called Newlyweeds, and episodes of High Maintenance, People of Earth, and Shrill. The screenplay is by Shaka King and Will Burson. They also wrote, uh, Will Burson also wrote episodes of Scrubs and was a writer's assistant on Spin City and Arrested Development. The story is by Shaka King, Will Burson, and Kenny and Keith Lucas. And they are collectively known as the Lucas Brothers, Kenny and Keith. They're identical twins. And they are also. Not fraternal. And they are also stand-up comedians. They have appeared in Arrested Development, 22 Jump Street, The Grinder, Lady Dynamite, Crashing, and they had an, a, a Netflix comedy special as well. The music is by Mark Isham. He also... Man, this guy has done so many... Fil- like, contributed to so many film scores. Um, so many. 42, Varsity Blues, Beyond the Lights, Quiz Show, A River Runs Through It. He's a trumpeter and synthesizer player. And Craig Harris, who is a jazz trombonist. The director of photography is Sean Bobbitt. He shot Shame, a place, The Place Beyond the Pines, 12 Years a Slave, and Widows. And it's edited by Christian Sprague. Or Sprague. It's S-P-R-A-G-U. That always gets Sprague. me. Yeah. He also edited Newlyweeds, Dirty Hands, and The Fates. The cast, Daniel Kaluuya. Kalu- Man, I always butcher it. Kaluuya. Kaluuya. I, I like to say Kaluuya. I heard Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Okay. Yeah. Kaluuya, but not as smooth as like a drink. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he, well, he played Fred Hampton. Um, I, he's around, like, he's 31. I think he's going to be 32 on Wednesday. So happy early birthday. He is, 
an English actor. He's been in, listen to this, this run of films that he's been in. Sicario, Get Out, Black Panther, Widows, and Queen and Slim. So, uh-huh. man, this, Lakeith Stanfield as William Bill O'Neill. He is most famous to me as Darius on Atlanta, the uh-huh. FX show. But he's also been in Selma. He was Snoop Dogg and Straight Outta Compton. He was also in Get Out, Sorry to Bother You, Uncut Gems, and Knives Out. Uncut Gems. Yes. That's right. Dominique Fishback, she played Deborah Johnson. She was also in Show Me a Hero, The Deuce, The Hate You Give, and Project Power. Jesse Plemons played Roy Mitchell. What hasn't Jesse Plemons been in? <laughs> wow, has he had a career since Friday Night Lights? Well, he was before that he was in Varsity Blues. He was also in Grey's Anatomy in 2003 to 2006. I do not remember That's that. That's what he was in that I watched. Yeah. Okay. I watched Grey's Anatomy back then. Huh. And then he was in the TV show Friday Night Lights. Yes. He's also been in The Master. He was really funny in Game Night. <laughs> I don't know if anybody yes. has seen that. Yes. I thought that that movie did make me laugh. He's also in Breaking Bad, and mm-hmm. he was in a, a season of the Fargo show on FX. Yes. He's very good, but he just has a face you want to punch. Yeah. Yes, he's, he does. Yeah, he, he does. He's really good at that. Yeah. Um. Ashton Sanders played Jimmy Palmer. He was in Moonlight, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, he was also in Wu-Tang, An American Saga, where he played RZA. Mm-hmm. And he was also in The Equalizer 2. Darrell Britt Gibson played Bobby Rush. He was in The Wire, Barry, Keanu, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing's Missouri, and Just Mercy. Because when I saw his face, I'm like, man, where? I know this guy, too. What is he in? Algie Smith. Uh, um, I'm sorry. You bought up three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Francis McDormand was in the um, Financial District Urban Outfitters on Friday. <gasps> the store manager texted me. It was like, oh, my God, Francis McDormand was just in my store. Oh, my God. And I said, well, did you talk to her? And um, she said, "Uh, well, I noticed her dog first, of course. And then she took her mask off to smell the candles. Um, And she said, so I was like, well, what about her kind of dog does she have? And she said, well, she has like a chihuahua meets an Italian greyhound and it had on a big puffy sweater. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like a group chat and somebody's what was she wearing? And she said, I don't know, Pat's pants and a jacket. <laughs> yeah. so all you really know about is her dog. But Exactly. Wow. American <laughs> and she said treasure. That, we were like, did you talk to her? And she said, well, I, I was like, your dog is so well behaved. And she said, he has his moments. <laughs> oh, such a McDormand response. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> wow. It, it's like a, American treasury just lightly grazed. <laughs> The podcast exactly six six degrees of separation yeah well we might be seven or eight at this point but still i'm pretty cool with it algie smith as jake winters 
He's in Euphoria. He was in Detroit and the New Edition story. Lil Ray Howry, he played Wayne. He was in Get Out, The Carmichael Show, and Bird Box. And we have Martin Sheen, who played J. Yes. Edgar Hoover, who was... his. Do you know his real name is Ramon Antonio Garado Estevez? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He was born in Dayton, Ohio. Both of his parents were immigrants. His mother was from Ireland, and his father was from Spain. And he is the father of Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. And he started using the name Martin Sheen when he was in Los Angeles to go out on auditions. And he noticed that when they found out his name, people were very hesitant. They, They would change. But then as soon as he showed up and they saw him, their tune changed. Mm-hmm. And so he changed his name, his stage name to Martin Sheen. He's he is still an est, he's still Ramon Estevez on all of his passports, driver's license, and everything. And he says that he regrets changing his name. But would but, we even know him if he didn't? Yeah, that's just one of mm-hmm. the sad parts of just American history is that this guy had to change his name. Had you know, couldn't be an Estevez. Um. Yeah, and then when they saw him, they were like, oh, no, he is Martin Sheen. They, well, there you go. So oh. he's been in so many things, Catch-22, Badlands, Apocalypse Now, Gandhi, Selma, The West Wing, and most recently, you may see him in those single care commercials. And and if rumor is true, when he was in Apocalypse Now, he just about lost his mind. Or he did lose it and he got it back. Probably. That's there are we're we're gonna have to do that movie because there's a lot of stories about it. There's I think a whole like documentary about it. Everybody, it turned into because isn't it based on Heart of Darkness? And that's kind of what the whole book is about: is descending into madness. (laughs) So they go to make that, and they Marlon Brando, yeah, dude who wore a necklace of fingers and. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty heavy. Late 60s, early 70s, wild times. That's right, I survived. <laughs> with mescaline. <laughs> Ding! Not Take a drink. It's the new God with the Bushes drinking game. God. <laughs> oh, yeah, mescaline. To mescaline. The mescaline. See, that's when I need to cut down on my alcohol, because you never should have heard that. <laughs> Is that the end of our particulars? Those are the particulars. Very good. Well, we start with, there is an interview called Eyes on the Prize. This is part two. Yeah. In 1989, where there is an interview with a dude named Bill O'Neill. And the interviewer is asking about the 60s. And um, look at those flames lighting up the sky. Quote I wrote down, it had meaning yesterday. Um, well, because it's we setting see- up the whole, because look at those flames lighting up the sky, and then it's cut over um, documentary footage of the cities burning after Martin Luther King was assassinated, right? Correct. Correct. And uh, we see newspapers that are talking about, um, yeah, 
the the civil rights movement and after Dr. King was assassinated, um, many people were very angry and trying to find a way to deal with their anger, much like um, this summer. Well, yeah, because, you know, this whole thing is it's setting the table for the time so that you're getting people like me who weren't around in that time to be like, okay, this is what just happened. You have this guy who was always preaching nonviolence, going about it through nonviolence, dogs, fire hoses being turned on people, getting busted up, bloodied, and it was just don't strike back because you know when when people see that you're not doing anything you're not being violent then that takes away the fear and they're gonna see how horrible that the country has been treated and then this guy is violently killed the man who was like no be peaceful it's short so dignity is cut down in a violent way big like yeah hey we tried it this way and this guy got shot and killed. You know, the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over again. All right. So you didn't like being nonviolent. What's next? And we have lots of news clips from the 60s. And then we see um, the Black Panther Party helping how they help the communities. They started a breakfast program for um, kids so that they didn't go to school hungry because... That was huge. That's uh, as being an elementary school teacher, kids who come to school with so much baggage that they aren't available to learn because first of all, they're, they're hungry and they don't, sometimes they don't have any kind of structure. And um, so you want to take care of that so that they are then available to learn when they come to school. So the black Panthers were doing that. They started um, a breakfast program. We are introduced to Frederick Allen Hampton, um, and the FBI is saying, we don't need a black messiah. So it's Chicago, 1968, and Bill O'Neill, who was doing the interview early when it first started, is a an FBI informant, but we don't know that yet. He goes into, he is walking on the street. He sees a really nice red convertible GTO. And uh, he goes into the pool hall with a, an FBI badge and says he knows that it was a stolen vehicle. So, um, you know, give me the, the keys and I will, I'm, I'm repossessing it or whatever. And the people in there are going, you ain't no cop. So he runs. He's attacked in the GTO. The police are after him. He gets caught. And he talks with Special Agent Mitchell, who is an FBI agent. Um, And so they're going, hey, dude, you go in there with a badge. You don't go in there with a gun to steal. Why? And he's going, uh, oh, well, first, the because um, Bill O'Neill says it's scarier than a gun. So it's the easiest way to steal a car. Flash a badge and people are scared. And so then... Mitchell asks, were you upset when Dr. King was murdered? What about when Malcolm was murdered? Oh, sorry. Meant to say this is the 56th year anniversary of Malcolm Malcolm X being assassinated. Oh, yeah. It was in February. Was it today? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. That didn't that happen? That was in the Autobahn place in New York. That that ha- he was killed in New York City. And I was going to go into that more, and I thought I'm going to do that when we actually do the movie Malcolm X. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a good Netflix, I think it's a Netflix series on who killed Malcolm X. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Also, yesterday was the 94th birthday of American... Treasure. Treasure. Sydney Portier. Sydney Portier. Wow. Happy birthday yesterday. Okay. And so Bill O'Neill is saying, you know, I, I didn't really think about it when Dr. King was killed and when Malcolm was killed. So the FBI is saying, you're going to get 18 months for a stolen car and five years for impersonating an officer, or you can go home. So that's when we figure out. Bill O'Neill is going to become an FBI informant of the Black Panther Party. So Fred Hampton is giving a speech, and he's talking about the difference between revolution and reform. He is anti-capitalist because capitalism has not helped the poor people of the country. Um, Classroom. Um, he's in a classroom. Yeah, yeah they're in the classroom. Yeah. But the little and, kids or the older? Yes, the, this is like young adults. Oh, right? yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he's saying words are beautiful, but actions are supreme. War is politi- politics with bloodshed. Politics is war without bloodshed. Um, and we see the car thief at that point, I didn't realize his name, was in that class because he's infiltrated the black panther party we see the breakfast program and this is the pledge that the kids say every morning when they have their breakfast i pledge allegiance to my black people i pledge to develop my mind and body to the greatest extent possible i will learn all that i can in order to give my best to my people in the struggle for liberation um then we are at headquarters, the Black Panther Party headquarters, and um, Fred is there, and there is a new woman there who wants to be his speechwriter. He said, I don't need one, and she said, you kind of (laughs) do. So uh, O'Neill is sitting in this class trying to get cozy with a woman, and he is called out, do not take liberties with sisters, and he has to do 20 push-ups. Now we're back at the FBI, and they're complaining. Their goal is to get close to Hampton. What does he, uh, oh, and so what does he need? What does Hampton need? And so Bill O'Neill says he needs transportation. He needs a car. So get me a car. I'll be his driver, and then I can tell you all kinds of stuff. Okay, then we go to Leon's bar, and they are, uh, the Black Panthers are passing out flyers about the breakfast program because the Illinois Black Panther program had a mandate to feed every hungry child in Chicago. But the Black Panthers aren't the only group of people working in Chicago. We have several others. One is called the Crowns and they are in Crowns territory. And 
they protected Martin Luther King. A gun is pulled. Imagine what we can accomplish together. So Fred Hampton is trying to say, you know, we have two different groups here. Let's unite and imagine what we can do together. He, he's basically trying to form Voltron. He's like, we got all these things. Like, come on, man. And I'll form the head. And then That's we're right. just going to bring um, civil rights to everyone and uplift poor people. Because poorness isn't solely about skin color. And so it looks like it could be confrontation, confrontational. And Bill O'Neill uses a pool stick. He brought a pool stick to a gunfight. Well, they all get out of there. Also, isn't that place the like that Leon's place? That's the place where he went to steal the car. So he's like, man, these guys are gonna like know that I. Yeah, they said something about it. But okay, well, Bill goes to the FBI dude. Um, they they've investigated three people trying to register Negroes to vote. Um. And the FBI is saying the Panthers and the Klan are one and the same. They spew hatred and inspire terror. Can't cheat your way to equality. Um, And this is the 60s, so anytime there's like a business meeting, there's alcohol involved, even in the FBI. And white white men. Um, how much money do you make? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So, um, Mitchell and O'Neill have this thing. Mitchell, uh, Mitchell is the FBI agent. O'Neill is the informant. So they have this thing. Uh, they, they are writing a, the FBI is writing a pamphlet and they're trying to do it in Black Panther parlance of their time. Yeah, they're, they're so trying to debating whether to use the word dig or dig in. <laughs> yeah, you, you dig <laughs> in. Hysterical. Okay, now we have the meeting between Fred Hampton and Steele. Steele? Okay. Uh, um, uh, we can heal the whole city. Word on the street is the Crown's got the pamphlet in Crown territory. Oh, yeah, so- they, he goes, to, because when he was at the bar, you know, he's handing out and saying, hey, if you have any kids, like, you know, we'll feed them. We're going to take care of them. Think, And then that's when they, they, there's fisticuffs going to happen. And when, you know, they're they're like, look, we're leaving, we're leaving. But Fred Hampton says, hey, tell, tell the big man, I want him, the Panthers want to meet with the Crown's. So then they have this whole big meeting, you know, the two crews meeting together. And Fred Hampton basically lays it out of like, look, we're trying, we want the same thing. Imagine what we could do if we joined forces. And the guy is like, why are you holding this? These pamphlets were dropped in, which was like, you know, that's what people be- have been doing. So like how the Nazis would drop their paraphernalia, uh, you know, saying, um, you know, especially over like black troops and stuff like, hey, why are you fighting for this country that doesn't even look at you as a human being or give you any rights? So the FBI is dropping these pamphlets in the crown territory saying, oh, um, 
basically the, the saying that the Black Panthers were going to one, you know, just antagonizing, you know, right, like right. like pitting both sides against each other and stuff. Yeah. And they're like, and it ends with dig in. And the guy's like, dig in, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> we didn't write that because we would not write dig in at the end and he's like who wrote it then he's like cops he's like the pigs don't write that that's you know because that's what they say to referring to cops and stuff and the fred hampton's like yeah but the feds do like you know the fbi and stuff that's what they do that's their modus operandi and so yeah, and one of the crowns says that the Black Panthers have more rats than a cheese factory. Where do you think they're getting all their money from? The pigs run the whole operation. Um, okay, so we had the whole dig, dig in. And then somebody goes, that's the motherfucker who stole my car. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, man, I got made. Well, because he also mentioned, somebody also mentions like, hey, uh, where's that badge of yours? And that's what gets one of the Black Panther. They're like, wait, what did this guy just say? Like a bat, you know? So then, of course, like, but the crown, because this is this is a, a peaceful summit. So they don't, they don't, you know, hey, you're stepping out of turn. Nobody said that you could talk, you know? So he gets yeah. shut down. But one of the people they, in the Black Panther they, were like, excuse me? What was that? They should have auto-listened. Um, and then I think Fred says they pulled the same shit on Malcolm and Martin. At least Malcolm and Martin died for the people. We should be so lucky. Um, somebody gives, oh, oh, the crown gives a rifle to Fred, kind of like uh, we can come together. And kind of like, you need to protect your six, my man. Like, look what <laughs> happened to them. <laughs> Seems like you're going to need this. Um, well, they knew that um the pamphlet came from the feds and then judy judy is judy's a yeah it was hard ass woman she pulls a gun on bill what was all that shit about a badge you used to steal cars hey where'd you get this car you know the one the feds gave bill to be able to uh and so he said he hot wired it and they go go ahead hot wire it again and you know he didn't hot wire it before but he pulls it out at the last moment and then they're going, but wait a minute, where'd you get the keys to a stolen car? And he's he took line 101 from me. So he goes, <laughs> uh, you know, I had a dude redo the lock. Whew. Okay. We have Fred listening to a Malcolm speech. Sometimes when a person's house is on fire and the person to whom the house belongs is asleep, if someone comes in yelling fire, instead of the person to whom the house belongs... To being thankful, they make the mistake of charging the one who awakened them with having set the fire. I hope this little conversation tonight about the black revolution won't cause many of you to accuse us of igniting it when you find it at your doorstep. Heller. It has been almost 40 minutes, and I stopped the retelling um, there are quotables in every inch of celluloid. Out the wazoo. So we are to our POC count, which would probably be our people of European descent, but I didn't, you probably didn't do that. I didn't do a POC count. 
And the power of cast is the entire movie. Yes, but I have a specific power of cast. And that would be the scene where Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party goes to visit the Young Patriots. And the Young Patriots are the... They're the poor white people, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And so, you know, they have this guy who's called the Preacher Man. He's just, you know, young white guy. And he's preaching, and it's in front of the Confederate flag. So you're just like, oh, that's them, they clan. And they have a whole kind of exchange about it. And the preacher man, you know, he kind of is like, that's just to remind us of our Southern heritage. And the Black Panthers are like, yeah, but when I see that, I just see my uncle, you know, hanging from a tree. And then somebody gets up and remember it was like what we said in sounder and because he was like yeah because your people oppressed me and this one guy gets up from the crowd of the young patriots and he's like my family's been poor we haven't we've never oppressed anybody and that he was like we were sharecroppers and remember when we did sounder Mm -hmm. what was it like two-thirds of the sharecroppers were actually white yeah white exactly and so like fred hampton is kind of like yeah but you all were the overseers and imagine what would have happened if the overseers and the slaves had had gotten together had gotten together and took out the master and fred hampton goes on this speech and he's like i bet your kids get the same shitty education as our kids I bet you all don't get the same medical um, benefits, you know, the same medical treatment. I, like, basically laying it out, like, we're in the same predicament, the same boat. And it's that's how it's always been. And, the, the like, the reason that the game is still going on is because people at the very beginning knew the power in dividing people and putting the caste system into place. So I just thought exactly. that that scene was exactly pointing out the difference between castes because you're looking at the young patriots and the black panther party and the things that they want the education the food for their kids all of that to have a more level playing field to not be the ones constantly being exploited you know they're paying taxes what are the taxes doing they're also getting cracked on the their skulls cracked in by the cops you know and it's just very interesting because you imagine how that plays out and the descendants of the young patriot, the direction that not everyone, but probably most likely went, it, that's cast. That's, that's ca- they're going against what is in their best nature because right. of the caste system and like, well, at least my skin is white and I'll be, I might be able to get a lotto ticket and to ascend into that upper echelon when they because if it had been 2020 though most people in there would be wearing a MAGA hat Mm -hmm. we just didn't have anybody to go in and be able to talk to them in in the same way because we killed them all (laughs) yeah and yeah yeah we'll get into that more so um anybody else have a cast comment then we are to nerd alerts. Okay, nerd alerts. 
does anybody want to go first? Because I did not do, this came out in 2021. I mean, do we need to recap? There was a oh. violent insurrection mm. at the Capitol. We got a new president, a new vice president, and um, what will eventually be a future nerd alert, a complete humanitarian disaster is happening in Texas. So, yeah. Because, yeah, they wanted to Yeah, I think we're, fair. we're all caught up in 2021. <laughs> so that, that's 2021. Yeah. But I have other nerd alerts. So should I just go? All right. So I did black the Black Panther Party because I figured you would. Um, that wasn't really so something didn't. that was covered in my education. Um, they were founded in 1966 in Oakland, California, by Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale. They were tired of the lack of improvement from the civil rights movement outside of the South. So you know, in '64 you had the Civil Rights Act passing in. 65 i think the voting rights and you know that was great and fantastic but they kind of felt that it didn't um that that really just benefited the blacks in the south and they're looking in oakland and other cities um with huge black populations from remember the great migration that happened and you know just the police violence and the state oppression and so they felt that nonviolent protests could not truly liberate black Americans or give them power over their own lives. And so they really felt a strong kinship with the African liberation movements in Africa and also in Southeast Asia, which is what put them in the crosshairs of the government because if you read between the lines of Southeast Asia, we're in a little thing called a conflict but you yeah. might know it as the vietnam war and the whole reason for the vietnam war is because the united states wanted to keep the spread of communism from happening because it's all not so much about political ideology really it gets boiled down to that a lot of times but basically it's between the soviet union and the united states and it's a giant basically game and it's who controls what in where and you know because the soviet union isn't really communist and no. the, the chinese isn't really communist and the united states it's, it's is like capitalism for the rich yeah it's like it's basically but they like to put labels on things because and they've always been doing it and it continue to doing it and you can see it now happening it's the same thing they just love putting different labels on different things so Bobby Seale said, quote, you know, because imagine that, that you have a group of young black people who are like, ah, you have Martin Luther King and he was talking about nonviolence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, man, we got guns because y'all got guns. And Bobby Seale, he said, but they tried to make it into like, oh, black people hate white people and that kind of thing. And Bobby Seale was like, look, we don't hate anybody because of, we don't hate nobody of color, we hate oppression. And right. they had many local chapters that were led by women, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, but I saw that sixty. the Black Panthers are made up of 60% women. Yes, mm -hmm. but they also, and I didn't really get a chance to get into this, they had rampant issues of sexism. So, <laughs> yes. so that yes. was, um, yeah, bad look on their part because you're, look at the resources that you had at your disposal and maybe things yeah. would have been different. 
So, yes, there were many programs led by women. They had what were called survival programs. And like we mentioned before, that included free breakfast. They fed 20,000 kids every day. Every day. Every day. They also had and would give food to families and also elderly people. They sponsored schools. They also had legal aid. They had clothing distribution. They set up local transportation. They set up health clinics. They set up sickle cell testing centers because sickle Mm -hmm. cell is a condition that affects um, uh, a disproportionate number of African-Americans. And so, of course, if it affects them, it's not like a whole bunch of money is getting put into Mm -hmm. researching that. And so they took it upon themselves to test for that and to set up uh, centers for that. They also, imagine this, campaigned for prison reform and set up voting registration drives. You know, all crazy radical shit. Um, yeah, that's real communist. One of the first things that they did was put a stop sign in an area where kids were getting off, I think, getting off the school bus or playing frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were very much into the community. Mm-hmm. And if, like, for me, someone who was born in 1980, what I saw when I would see or hear of the Black Panthers in mainstream media, it was dour black leathered kind of scary black men who had no yeah, sense of humor 100 percent. you know yes it wasn't it, a- when i was living through it it was it was that is something to be feared mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you see that gray you see that leather jacket you're scared because they don't like white people and that wasn't this the message at all the mess but that was the message i got yeah that was that was that um it all a lot of it all comes down to advertising and marketing and that was what was marketed to the mainstream people because in truth it wasn't like no i they don't hate white people it's just like i'm i don't have a sense of humor because my community is in peril and i see this is supposed to be the richest nation and at that time in the 60s the united states of america was the richest nation on earth Mm -hmm. and yet you know as fred hampton says in the film you you go into the hospital with a runny nose and you come out in a body bag how Mm -hmm. how how is that possible um so then my other nerd alerts are just things that i researched because it was mentioned in the film and so i wrote it down because i didn't know what it was when they were having that big uh gathering with the crowns they mentioned the tanks and henry horner and i was like what, what's that so henry horner was a public housing project in near west side of chicago um and that's an area of west side of chicago and it was built from 1957 to 1991 um residents sued the city in 1981 because it was a hellhole so up until yeah. kind of like the, the 80s, it was actually a, a really nice place to, to live. It was affordable housing and that kind of thing. But then um, the city ran out, was running out of money, you know, budgets, all of that kind of thing. Who knows what's going on, where the money's going to, but it wasn't going to there. So there weren't uh, 
you know, repairs weren't being made. And so in 1981, the city sued because it was like, this is a civil rights violation. What is going on? And then by that time, like gangs had just kind of taken over the territory and it was just a horrible place to live. And in 2010, I believe it was demolished. Um, and gangs wouldn't have been able to take over if it had been kept up and kept nice. But gangs gave... We've lost generations of fathers to prison. So kids didn't have role models. So gangs came in and became families for these kids that didn't have any role models. They were their role models. And if it had been kept nice in the first place, gangs wouldn't have had a reason to come in if their fathers weren't all sent to prison for smoking a little dope on the court. And the, the gangs provided... They provided money, you know, and they, you need to put food on the table. And so, right. it, yeah, it's like, well, I can go here and maybe not make any money legally, or I can go out on the corner, sell this rock, which how did the rock even get to the corner in the first place? But my other nerd alert is that one of the, you know, Voltron pivotal scenes is they are going to the funeral of a Puerto Rican, a young lord, and his name, he's a real person that is depicted in that, that funeral. His name was Manuel Ramos. He was 20 years old. He was a member of the Young Lords organization, and the Young Lords were a group of Puerto Ricans in the Puerto Rican diaspora around Lincoln Park. Um... And they wanted these crazy things such as access to better food, housing, and they were against urban renewal because they're, you know, people were coming in and pushing the Puerto Rican community out of this area. There's a fantastic op-ed piece in the Chicago Sun-Times that is by his grandson. <sighs> yeah. Ooh, have a tissue ready. Um, so excuse me, let me get a drink. Man, yeah. He, like, so in real life, um, Manuel Ra Ra Ramos, sorry, he was 20. He had two small kids, a son and a daughter. And he was, uh, you know, friends were like, hey, you want to go out tonight? And, you know, of course, his wife was like, no, you should stay on the same side. And he's like, no. And the friend was like, no, I'll come out, come out. So he went out and they were at a party and he heard and saw a man yelling at his friends and they were getting into an argument. And so, you know, he went out to uh, break up the argument and to kind of calm everything down. And the man that was arguing with his friends pulled out a police-issued handgun because the man who was arguing with his friends was an off-duty Chicago police officer. And he shot Manuel and a friend. The friend lived. Manuel died. Um, and the young lords, cause like, that's young Lord turf and you just shot a guy. Did the young lords all just, just light up this guy who just shot one of their fellows? Did they beat him to a pulp? Did they do any of that? No, they held him down until the police could come so that the police could deal with him and arrest him. And when the police came, all the young lords who held the off duty cop were arrested and the man who shot, the off-duty police officer who shot 20-year-old Manuel Ramos 
was not arrested. And his story was that Manuel had a gun. And everyone at that party was like, that is not true. And then I think later on they said that they found a gun. And this is all stuff, you know, that's coming out in the paper, in the news. So this is what people are hearing. And they're not hearing about a guy who was 20-year-old father family man who had father and they weren't hearing about a guy who was trying to do for his community all they heard about was this guy this puerto rican kid who was in a gang and he had a gun and an off-duty police officer shot him and how many times have we heard that story in the news and just not thought anything of it um so that was that funeral and that's why everyone was so mad and because of his death in Chicago it did bring a whole bunch of people together that they started calling the rainbow coalition because it was like yo this is the same thing that's happening to us same thing that's happening to the young patriots people same thing that's happening to the black panther party and I think that was a big wake-up call for a lot of people of like oh they're all together on this uh-oh but then there's also two other murders that never really, they haven't even been ever solved. So, you know, Martin Luther King was assassinated in April of 1968. Fred Hampton was assassinated December 4th, 1969. Um, I forget when this happened. Like, you know, the, Manuel was killed in between that time. In September, on September 29th, 1969, 31-year-old Reverend Bruce Johnson, he was a pastor of the Armitage Avenue Methodist Church. His church helped the young lord set up a breakfast program and a health clinic. Um, he, he was Methodist. He was a, a white man. Um, he was murdered in his living room. I believe he was stabbed. He was sitting in his living room chair. His wife, Eugenia, was murdered in their bed. And their three children who were preschool aged, they were just sleeping. So somebody came in and murdered them in their house, and it was never solved. And it was just like, jeez. Well, this guy was just a, a, a reverend that was just helping the young lords. Yeah, they're part of, because the Crowns are a fictitious gang. They're an amalgamation of a bunch of the area gangs in Chicago. And that gang that you're saying of is one of the gangs that in the film is represented by the Crowns. Mm hmm Yeah, he's like, excuse me, the last time, it, it goes into the whole thing of that thing, well, who is the Second Amendment for? 
because it, it seems like it's really right. for only certain people because he's housing exactly. these guns because he's like, well, there people are allowed to bear arms. I just want them here. And maybe y'all should kind of calm the fuck down and not wild exactly. out and be all violent and they won't need them. But if you act a fool and you have tanks right. running in your neighborhood, people need to defend themselves. So right. it's kind of the point of then, right. then I got to open up the armory. What's my problem? Why are you looking at me? Yeah, so they brought him before the Senate. But he was not convicted because he was a white prince. Well, he he got off lucky. Okay, I have one nerd alert. And it's partly because we've also been watching The Sopranos. And so we're only eight episodes left i believe and i'm oh wow very sad i'm sad about the ending i'm just yes. do you know about, about the, the ending, ending already no okay. no i don't know i don't okay. know okay 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 but, but oh, wait, before you get into it, can I just say how remarkable that it is that you do not know about the ending of The Sopranos? You're so oh, lucky. No they, so lucky. It was everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Good job. I don't know what's going to happen between, I don't know if it's going to be Chrissy and Tony. Is Tony going to kill Chrissy? Is Chrissy going to kill Tony? What's going to happen with Polly? I don't know. We just watched the episode with Polly and Tony on the boat. So <gasps> stressful. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. So also in that so in that and in this, there's a lot of talk about rats. Mm-hmm. So yes. I was wondering why we started calling snitches rats. Good one. Um and it took me back to the eighteen hundreds. And well, this is also, okay, another thing that I have a question about, we'll have to do my own research. Is it weird that we call, like, we brought the word savage back? Like, it's a good thing? Maybe we're reclaiming the word? Oh, like, in, in, uh, like, you're talking about the kids? How they're like, oh, that's so savage. I'm a savage. I'm a you're savage. savage. You're a savage, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, is that but a negative re- it, it is. It's going to be, but every generation has that cross to bear of shit that you're going to look back yep. and cringe upon. So, yep. Um, okay. Okay. So, the first appearance of the word referring to someone as the tattletale came in 1819. Mm-hmm. And the satire mm-hmm. called. A fud, the Fudge family in Paris, um, in which the father, Phil Fudge, <laughs> praises the peaching rat false enough to shirk his friends. And when he says peach, I guess it used to mean to snitch. If you said somebody peached, that means they snitched. Really? So he called somebody a snitching rat. And by 1859, John Camden Houghton, he apparently had a slang dictionary, which I didn't even know slang <laughs> was a known word in 1859. Oh cool. uh, and so he would define in 1859 a rat as a sneak and informer or a turncoat. And by then, the 1950s, obviously, it was just in pop culture everywhere. Well, did wow. they already know by then just how many diseases that the rats um, carried? Well, and the were... article that I read didn't say any... Well, I... Okay. It might, but I only read the first paragraph. So, yes. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> because 
She is my daughter. Before calling someone a rat, it meant calling them an informant. It signified a drunkard, a cheating husband, or a pirate. (laughs) Or it could be to label a deserter in reference to the animal's legendary tendency to flee collapsing houses and sinking a deserter. Oh, Mm -hmm. they would flee collapsing houses. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 1950s when we started saying we don't give a rat's ass. Wow. Mm. Ooh. Ooh, a rat's ass. I mean, mm. that is, when you go to nasty, it is. rat's it's ass is pretty mm-hmm. fucking nasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem unbelievable because it's just, yeah, rats. Like, nobody... But rats, and then this also talks about stool pigeons. Oh. Um, originally referred to the pigeon attached to a stool as a lure, but soon the phrase was used to describe people hired by casinos and other gamblers as decoys. By the 1840s, the term was interchangeable with a police informant. And by the 1920s, it had been shortened to stoolie. Wow. In the late 19th century, canary was used to refer to a female vocalist and soon became a common underword for those who would sing to the police. Mm. Ah. These, these early hip hop bards, they, they're writing yeah. bars before they even knew they were bars. All the way to the 1800s. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, that, that Who makes knew? sense. I mean, people oh, people turning on other people is, I mean, that's what makes the world go round. Yeah. <laughs> Cain and Abel. I'm just saying. Okay, so we are to negative reheatable. Okay. I don't feel, I didn't do a lot of reheatables. So I'm just going to preface it with that. Okay, yeah. I did your share then. Okay, so my negatives, all I wrote down was the phrase, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like, I, can't we just do something for somebody because it's yes. nice or like the yeah. right thing to do? And I feel like if that term, that it's, I think it was the FBI agent using it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Cause, mm-hmm. Oh, it was when he wanted a blueprint of mm-hmm. his house. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you're only doing something skeezy and not nice if you're going to say that phrase. And the person who says that phrase is always the person that's in power. I've exactly. It's, it's yeah. never like the the the. You know, the... I went to my boss and I was like, "Hey, <laughs> you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. And depending on who that boss is, that could get kind of. <laughs> Christine know. gets an email from HR. <laughs> no, it's a phrase. <laughs> and He's then got the body lights. I know there's a lot of negative things, mm-hmm. so don't take this. But it's all I wrote down, so I'm gonna go with it. The only other thing I wrote down <laughs> is talking about socialism in bed. <laughs> yeah, I was like, really, we're gonna, we really have to bring this to bed right now, like this. <laughs> but you know what? I'll bet they did because it was so forefront on their really mind. Did. I mean, you know, I'm sure they had a lot of nights where they didn't. And you know, she was like. Yeah, know what? This is not um, foreplay to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that, but this is th- this movie. It, that's the thing about biopics that, they, that's, that's why they could be so horrible and yet so good. Um, and what I love that I, the reason that I love biopics isn't necessarily because they're the best movies. I just love the exercise in taking someone's life. Who Fred Hampton was 21 years old when he 
die. Yes, he he's like was. so young. So that's only 21 years. And yet you're taking it and condensing it down into a movie that's what, maybe two hours, not even. Yeah. And like yeah. this film, it was just condensed down to one year. But still, you're taking a whole year and condensing it down. And then you have to, and then it's also a movie. So it, you have to bring into all of these different aspects of it. And so, yeah, the, their scene depicting their intimacy was going to have to be one of yeah. the, the socialists because it was just going to get cut out. That's, yeah, but it is. You're like, really? Okay, Aaron. Mine. Okay. Oh, well, this kind of segues into it. Bill O'Neill was recruited by the FBI when he was 17 years 17. old. So he's not even... His brain isn't fully developed. No, he's not, not even... Uh, like, I don't... Is that even something... Like, I know. Who are you talking about? Depends on who you are. But I would think in the legal system, he would have had to have a guardian or something... Like he's a minor at seventeen, but yeah, that's but he was a black minor. But that's and that's why it's all a horrible reheatable. And yes. Yes. he was twenty years old when Fred Hampton was killed, so he was you know basically a year younger. But th that's kids. Yes. Also, you know the opening scene. He um is you know doing the getaway. He gets stabbed in the chest. But then do you notice, and then the police come, he's bleeding, and I love how the scene does it, because you just see the blood dripping on the floor, but then you mm -hmm. look up, and he's bleeding from a gash over his forehead. That didn't happen in the struggle with the crowns. Oh. He got fucked up by the cops. Right. And then this other guy comes in after he's just gotten a right. beating. And I, I love how they didn't show it. They just pointed. And, and you had to be kind of like paying attention and reading between the lines. And I even went, because I watched this movie two times, that part, I went back and rewound it on my second time just to make sure that he hadn't gotten punched in the face. And it was like, oh, no, God. that gash, that his whole face and beat up is from the cops beating him. So that shot is actually showing the blood he is spilling in the police department is from the police department. Yes, yes. And then a guy comes in and says, well, you're looking at time. And in real life, he, um, I believe that he drove his car across state lines. So that's why Whoa. he was looking at the felony. And it's basically like, yeah, you're going to, this is a felony, you're going to do five years. He's just gotten beat, wailed on. Mm -hmm. Or you can go home right now and he was 17 and he's 17 yeah so what are you gonna do no lawyer no guardian nothing so yeah um his eye on the prize part two interview how that ends the movie yeah it's it does. just oh just heartbreaking it's because it just 
like you say, he's 17. He gets into this situation. It. I think the movie does a real good job, uh, which is so hard to do because you're just set up to be like, God, this guy's just a snitch and look what he's doing. But it's trying to point out and say that he was a human being. and These were the these were the cards that he, that were presented to him on the table and he you know he's he's can like that's the thing that gets me from the thing is as if anybody's ever had blood dripping into your eye it is really not a great experience and you just you all you are thinking about is keeping the blood out of your eye and how the blood is just dripping into his eye and the guy's just like well you know you can do time or you can go home tonight and who's gonna get the blood out of my eye yeah and and look, Keith Stanfield does an amazing job with that role. Mm, I because really I did care about that character. If it had been somebody else doing the role, I don't know that I would have. He would have just been a snitch. Yeah, and that's why then the how it the movie ends with the real life sort of excerpt from the Eye on the Prize mm-hmm. of him kind of just saying, like, well, yeah, like a lot of people I was in it. And it just leaves you with this thing of how like you like nobody's ever really gonna know what this guy thought about what he did but it's just this and it's just that thing of like well humans will try to you know like convince themselves that what they that what they're doing is is okay or that they were you know he he was like well I was a part of the Black Panther movement but you know what I mean of just yeah. how he's just saying trying to that. put themselves on the right side of history. Yeah, and then how it says how well when that that interview because that show when it premiered like later that night it says how he committed suicide, but it doesn't say how. He ran onto oh, a freeway, yeah. and some people are, are. And that was the second time you'd tried it. Yeah. yeah, he was going to jump out of a window and they pulled him back in and then he ran out onto a freeway. And OK, I'm not I'm just putting this out here. I'm not attaching like a, a judgment upon it in any way. But ah, I know this is very like hard to, to kind of articulate, but I'm going to try my best. He took himself out of the game, not by his own hands, oh. But he, by running out into a freeway, he made somebody else have to do that. Yeah, that's him. Which kind of makes sense to me in a way of that whole, uh, for lack of a better term, stooly rat kind of lifestyle. Like he kind of took himself out like a rat, right? Cause yeah, because somebody, somebody, yeah, somebody else has to is driving down the street, holding holding home, and this guy just comes bolts out, and now I've killed a person on the freeway, and I have that trauma. Right. It's like, uh, yeah. oh man, okay. But then to imagine like the just the turmoil and like what's going on in your head that that's how you decide I'm going to put an end to this. Obviously, there's no thinking of other people, is I guess what no, I'm basically right. saying. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, you have more? I do. Okay. Um, 
the oh that scene where it's again with Bill and when the uh, the FBI agent is asking him how he felt about when Martin Luther King was assassinated and uh-huh. Malcolm X, and so the first time I saw it, I I read the scene as him, um like that he wasn't like because he was a, a criminal and a thief and that maybe he didn't have any feelings about it or anything. But then the second time I saw it, I wondered, well, maybe he's saying that he didn't because he knows that that's what they want to hear, you yeah. know, like like yeah. doing code switching. What they want to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is like just a bad reheatable, but it's interesting. Um, I know we've talked about it in another film, but how. Angela Davis, um, how she was neighbors of Addie McCollins, Cynthia mm-hmm. Wesley, Carol Robertson, and Carol Denise McNair, who were the four little girls who were killed in that church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. And that mm-hmm. that really, you know, I mean, it had to have just lit a fire and really, you know, because she called it Bombingham just of being of witnessing that how that would make you be like yeah this is life and death and this is a struggle and that scene where you find out that fred hampton was neighbors of emmett till mm-hmm. and that his mom babysitted and they, like he didn't see that picture for mm-hmm. um bill o'neill thought that mitchell was the only FBI person who knew his name. And so, yeah. I mean, that, so he felt like he was just dealing with one person, but the whole FBI knew his name. Um, comrades calling each other comrades in the Black Panther Party because they were so anti capitalist made them really sound like communist, but they were, they were trying to do the true communist thing where you take care of each other, but communism never became really the, taken I mean that's but that's the problem but it's also that with capitalism is that pure oh, yeah. each of them doesn't work they need each other exactly okay we are to positive well, wait you kind of cut me off with my I, my battery heatables I had two I more so sorry it's okay they're both just ah, but scotch remember yeah, he goes Matt, am I right, guys? I said it. I've said it before on this podcast. Scotch. And he was like, here, have some of the finest scotch. And I was like, just scotch. And I'm thinking, he's not going to go for scotch, truth be told. And except that he knows it's expensive, so he should like it. But he's not going to like it. But you still drink it because it's expensive. And, exactly. and then my, my final battery heatable was just history and the depiction of the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one that I grew up with. That everybody oh God, grew up so with. Scary. But now we are to positive reheatables. Um, okay. Uh, dive bars. Yes. Bars at the pool table. I wanted to hang on any of those bars <sighs> right now. I just wanted to go get a shitty beer. A Bud Light, preferably, maybe a PBR, and play pool, and go into a disgusting bathroom mm. with graffiti all over it. Put toilet paper on that seat before you sit down. 
probably not. No, because you're just already. I'm going to hover yeah. or I'm going to be drunk enough to not care. But you're just like I the alcohol hover, will kill so it. So I've either got to put it down or not care. Mm. Um, yeah. Hovering uh, gets urine in my shoe. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the pool balls wrapped up in a shirt is a really good weapon idea. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. If I'm ever in a situation, once we can go to a dive bar again, I'm going to keep that one in the back of my head. Or you don't even need the, just like you, Teeny, can just pick up two pool balls in each hand and just go to That's town. True. That's true. That's true. The fashion, I mm-hmm. thought was great. Mm-hmm. Specifically the crown, the crowns with their mm-hmm. green hats. But mm-hmm. I have somebody that I work with and I was like, he literally dressed like every outfit. I was like, oh my God, like he literally wears that to work every day. Just with like the mix of leather and vests and. <laughs> you have a black, black <laughs> panther. <laughs> uh, those are my positives. Outstanding. Mine were the performances. Mm. I thought everybody's performance was really good he sounds re- dude daniel kaluuya he sounds just like fred hampton i watched that documentary that was uh it's on amazon the assassination or the killing of fred hampton it's like 20 minutes long and it's from oh, really? 19 yeah i sent it to you guys and it's from like 1969 yes, and yeah. like you hear him i'm like oh my gosh that's exactly how he talked he sounds just like him yeah, those Brits can do a good American accent. Also, the real footage and the real interviews. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, that just cuts through all the, yeah. Okay, Aaron. All right. The opening scene where, um, where we meet Bill and he's walking and it's just his shoes and the his jacket, his coat is flying and yeah. you never really see his face it's always hidden exactly. and it just was and the music to that it just felt very film noir and the I was, music was amazing i was all in on that the fact that warner brothers distributed this that this is a mainstream hollywood film yeah. it's about a black socialist revolutionary it's just like i know like a lot of times especially on this podcast and just in life you're you're just sad about like well what has changed but 1969 warner brothers was not releasing (laughs) judas and the black messiah that's true so just wow wow um bill's intro into how he got into the in when he's in the black panthers how it's it's the uh classroom scene and they're talking and they're talking and yes. then it like pants to him at the back, and he's like, "These have rocket launchers," and yes. he, and he leans forward. It's like what? Yeah, I thought that was great. Um, I mean, the whole it it'll be interesting to see what people take from this if they are like, "Oh, they were he was you know if you hear the word communism and you're automatically yeah. like I can't listen to anything he says." Or if you like, kind of let that slide and really listen to the words that he's saying, because there's that whole thing about highlighting the contradiction, and that's what Fred Hampton was about. He was like, "Look, show the people the contradiction, and then let the people decide." And there was that scene where they had 
the woman was saying the list of demands and he's like well that's just life liberty and the pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. like that's already in the constitution and it's very interesting to see what happens because that's what he was doing and that's why he was killed because he was highlighting the contradictions about what was happening and wanting the people to decide and so what happens when when you're laying out the facts other people maybe in order to uh, fight that start having alternative facts and so well what you're saying isn't correct and it's 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 just it goes back into that advertising and really into labeling it and you want it to be about the facts but then now we're in a time where well what are the facts because we have the internet and there's so many things out there that is not true and i think that people really need to you know there's no money in being a revolutionary look how fred hampton lived right Mm -hmm. who are you going to listen to about something fred hampton or the guy that flew to cancun you know like you have to think about who does it benefit for you to know this information and who does it benefit the money. for you to know this information? And it is, it's all about following the money. And yep. I hope that people in Texas, when they have electricity and if anyone in Texas listens to this podcast, they can really go in because there is good journalism being done. But if somebody that you follow is saying that it's not true maybe maybe kind of do a little bit more research yourself and really kind of find out what's going on um we do have some peeps in texas i i i hope you're staying warm and safe um oh when he when he asked because the guy came in to and gave him the drugs to slip him the mickey and then he followed him and he was like, show me a badge, show me a badge. And he showed him his fake badge. Yeah. Oh. Wow. I mean, that's just a great cinematic movie thriller scene, you know? It was indeed. I love that Deborah Johnson, who is now Akua Najiri, and her son Fred Hampton Jr., who is now like 51 years old, by the way. It's mm-hmm. nuts that they were on set pretty much every day mm-hmm. of the film. And, you know, there's this is a film. So there are going to be things that were changed and nitpicks. But just to, to walk that razor's edge of still being true and telling this story, that was fantastic. Um, and that actress was amazing as well. Oh, she, she was amazing. She's a fantastic actress. I uh-huh. watched her in Deuce, The Deuces, and she's great. I mean, Fred Hampton, like he was 21 years old. What was Martin Luther King, like 40 or something when he got taken yeah. out the game? And he, you kind of were seeing why. I was like, man, you were just too good with your Rainbow Coalition vision. Like exactly. You were just too on we the point. We can't have a black messiah. Nah. Exactly. And my final good reheatable is the same as Teenies. It was that fashion, the beret, the black leather. Although they mentioned how uh, Fred Hampton rarely wore black leather because Chicago, it was too cold for that Oakland leather. He needed a little something warmer. And then I lied. This is my final is the title. 
What a great title, Judas and the yeah. Black Messiah. We oh, might. Yeah, we get the tasty nuggets. It's, okay. it's kind of like it's funny because you're like, no, this is the best title. You want to do your tasty nugget now? Go ahead, Teeny. Oh, I have a couple of tasty nuggets. Well, we are I... to tasty nuggets, oh. but I, if you wanted oh, to, oh, we're do not your... there. No, oh, we okay. are. <laughs> okay, That's we a... are two quotables. <laughs> Well, I have a couple of those too. <laughs> Please go. Um, if you people could see how abused I am during this podcast, you would really feel sorry for me. You've already said the ba- a badge is the badge is scarier than a gun. Mm-hmm. That was a good one for twenty twenty one. Um, I can dig it. Let's just bring that back. I can dig it. So good. Oh man, that was so. I I grew up with that. Can you dig it? I can dig it. Um, in order to overthrow this racist fascist government, it's gonna take everybody. Yes. And it hasn't happened yet. Um, America's on fire right now, and until that fire's been extinguished, uh, I didn't catch all of it, but I wrote down nothing else matters. That's not word for word, but that's what. It's it the idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywhere there's people, there's power. And you can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. Yes. It does take something out of the revolution, however. Um, I have... Remember this. Prayer is good. If Fred could be murdered while he slept, remember what could happen to you as you kneel before the bed... Uh, yeah, as you kneel before the bed, because she's saying like pray, but right. that Fred could be murdered. Remember that Fred could be murdered, and what could happen to you while you're kneeling to pray? While you're kneeling before to pray, mm-hmm. exactly. And the day we get organized, it is over for their asses. Yeah, that that is so true. Mm-hmm. And then the quote: "Rape, pillage, and conquer." Well, that's, I mean, that's just human. That's, that's what that is. So, Erin, quotables? I have, the, or you could go home. Or you could go home. Or you could go home. And at 17, what are you going to choose? And then then you get in over your head and there is no way out. The, because... It would, I kind of had it written down as my bad reheatable, but like because of money and finances, you really can't. Um, it's just this line when he's in there, he's like, he ain't nothing but a kid. And that's kind of the only line that you read. But, you know, Lakeith Stanfield is in his late 20s, early 30s. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya is in his early 30s. So you just really can't get a feel for how young they are. But they, exactly. you know, when I get to my recasting, I tried, but that's Warner Brothers isn't putting out that movie to see just how young these people were. Oh, okay. They were babies. They were. Um, my favorite line is just Lakeith Stanfield and Bill O'Neill being like, these got rocket launchers? <laughs> <laughs> just how he delivers it and he's leaning up because he's like, oh, okay. Um, dig in. 
It's dig. That's like me doing the power to the people, but she's doing it vertically instead of horizontally. Yeah. That was mine in the 90s. She was down with it. Down with the cause. Power I'm to the people. In. I'm digging she in. was digging in. Digging. I am dig digging, digging. in. <laughs> digging. Digging. Um yeah, anywhere there's people. And then, you know, Fred Hampton, he's like, I am not going to die slipping on ice. He has this whole thing. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm not gonna and have I a really bad heart. I the other morning. Ooh. But no, yeah, that was a good one. Mm. Okay, we are to L V P. It's hard to have a definitive LVP. But mine is 1968, 2021. What's changed? Yeah. Well, Warner Brothers released yeah. a, a, a biopic. It's, it's kind of like we, we gotta we gotta look for the sunny side of things and that's uh but yeah other than that, you know, police reform, um yeah I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's it's not just black people. Mm-hmm. Like, hey. Um, well, our runner-up is now us because mm. we should have looked up and known how to say Daniel Kalu- Kaluuya's name. Ooh, yeah. But it is done. Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Because I there's a Kaluuya. Y in there. That's Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Um, true. But my my LVP is actually the same. That although a lot has changed, a lot has not changed. And I listen to there's a really there's a podcast out right now, and it's the I guess it's the official podcast for the movie. Mm. And it's hosted by film critic Elvis Mitchell. Ooh. And um, only it's like new episodes are coming out every week and since the movie just came out only two episodes have been released but they're both really good and I'll talk about some of it in TC tidbits I guess but he interviews um both Fred Hampton Jr. and uh um Akua and Jerry are interviewed for that and so she was talking about like in her interview this this most recent episode um they were asking, like, what do you hope people come away from the movie with? Uh, and she said that people need to come away from this knowing the struggle is going on. And I still believe to this day what we were fighting for in the 60s has not been achieved, and that's the reality. So um, what other response can we get but to still fight for self-determination and control over our black lives? Uh-huh. So I thought that was good. She was... Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 43 years later. 43. 43. Isn't it? No, it's like 50 something. I mean, that's 1969. They just had the 50th anniversary of the the space of on the moon. Uh, Yeah. My math was off. (laughs) According to Ma, she's in her, uh, what, early 50s now? I kid, I kid. Well, my honorable mention for LVP of the film, because uh, that's the way I looked at it, was um, Bill. 
I mean, it, yeah. Even yeah. though, like, I did not like him. You, I don't know. There was not much that I liked. I yeah, like, you're a rat. It yeah. is. It's one of those things where, um, I just because of how I am, I always like to to kind of put myself in other people's shoes and see where they're coming from. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm. Like oh, but I I don't know what I would have what what I would have done in in his situation. I could easily see how it completely escalated, but at the same time, it's just. And then you get on the show and you double down, saying like, at least I was in it and I wasn't in an armchair. And I'm yeah. sitting in an armchair and I'm like, I'm in an armchair. And Chairman would have been alive if my ass was in the armchair. So no, because it would have been somebody. Yeah, else. and then and if that's it exactly it been it, they would have turned somebody else and it would have been somebody else exactly that is very true so so my real lvp of it and uh kind of just solidified after i watched mlk fbi is the straight up fbi is that's the lvp for me in this film I mean, they they basically sanctioned a murder because I, that part really happened. That's in the yeah. film. Yeah. How the Black Panther yeah. guy that was accused of being the rat was the FBI informant and killed another guy that he because he was in the position where he could. And he was like, that guy's a rat. They tortured an innocent man. He killed yeah. him. Then the that's FBI right. was like, well, he did commit murder have him go on the run and then we can set him into any place he goes and then any place he goes since he's on the run and a felon we can then go into there and raise havoc and and muck and it's like yeah wow they're just straight up playing like just just war just war tactics but heaven forbid you know a black panther has a a gun because they feel the need to protect themselves like a war is being cast on them but Poppy always said, "Give a uh, give a bunch of black women guns, and we will have gun reform." Oh, yeah, because yeah. because <laughs> they would, they would be very judicious with how those bullets were spent and very effective. <laughs> it would be very costly. <laughs> it was surgical precision. Surgical, okay. Is that everybody's LVP? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we are to MVP. Now, my honorable mention, as Christina's already mentioned, costume designer. Mm. This costume designer, ninety percent of her clothes of the clothes that she got are real sixties clothes. They wow. went to oh wow. Yeah, they went to the thrift shops and found Real 60s clothes. Now, the bathrobe that Deb wore in the execution scene, they looked at the photographs and then, like, were able to mimic that, the fabric of what she was, the bathrobe she was wearing. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, they were, like, right out of thrift stores. I thought so. I was, like, those knits, because it's a lot of knits. Oh, double knits. (laughs) Looked uh, time appropriate. Hotter than hell, that shit. But it's Chicago. Yeah. But, yeah, you're never going to get... Yeah, okay. You're never going to, what, get them fully, the stink out? Like, your funk completely out? Yeah. (laughs) You're never going to get the whole body odor issue out of 
100% polyester double knit. It's not happening. Nope. Um, mine is I had a tie. Mm. Daniel Kalua and Dominique Fishback. Mm. Mm-hmm. They were so good. At first, they I just had him, but she deserves it too. Um, and when I was listening to the interview with Akua and Jerry, she was saying that uh, they asked her about, like, they, Elvis Mitchell asked her about, like, how did you feel about, because she was also very involved in the movie and, like, the making and everything. Not quite. She was like, I couldn't be there every day. Yeah. But um, she was very involved. And they were like, well, how did they, like, how do you feel like they did with, um, the casting and like Dominique Fishburne pl- Fishback playing you, um, like they had to get the hair right and everything. And she was like, "Oh, I didn't even really care." Um, she said, "I don't think whoever played me had to look like me, but Dominique Dominique fit the bill. She presented like a nice side, but I knew she could cut somebody." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But she does really kind of look like her when you look at like the old pictures. They like she really kind of looks like her also and i I I thought she did a fantastic job i was reading an article on the ringer about you know how the how the movie was able to get made by warner brothers which is a great article that i recommend and in that article it mentioned how dominique fishback was so anxious for that execution scene as you would be yes and that i i don't know i don't know if she talked to uh, Miss Nigiri, or if, uh, but it, somehow it became known to her that you know she didn't. She, you know, she was there when they took Fred Hampton's body out. She was like, "No, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not." Like they were chanting uh-huh. that Chairman Fred is dead and all happy, and she's like, "Not." Nah. And like she doesn't break in the seed. Well, and I, I mean, know how her. Also, they were like, is, were there any parts for you that were hard to watch back? And she was like, not really. I don't remember. Like, just yeah. like, well, talk she, about a strong ass person. Well, in yeah. that, that documentary, like, I mean, because Fred Hampton Jr. is a little baby and, and they're interviewing her. And so he's less than a year old. So he can't have been within, you know, the year and stuff. And it's just interviewing her and she's. She's just the, you know, it's just that strength of like, dang, like, okay, like, yeah. No, so yeah. Isn't there a scene where she starts to cry and then she goes, not going to do that, not going to give him the tears? Well, it's the, I think it's the scene, like, because she's when, yeah, almost well, she was pregnant, but, but it was when he was talking and he was, and it's when mm-hmm. he's giving this, the, oh, when he was like, I'm not going to slip on ice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. like basically saying like, yeah, I'm not going to, she was like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. And she was yeah. crying and she was like, going. no, this is yeah. okay. Well, yeah, you made that choice. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I made that choice when I chose to be with you. Mm-hmm. Which I think is great because that's something that you'd never really see in biopics because it's usually always about the great man and you don't mm-hmm. really get to see her 
you know the 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 great female behind it is the strength that keeps the yeah. legacy going like that the was one a, that keeps it going the same yeah. thing that i thought when i was watching mlk fbi and it's all those like of coretta scott king and it just like i'm done a double down i like i i believe it proves me right that she was the most glamorous person i've ever seen in real life and i have seen halle berry in real life and coretta scott king is to this day the most glamorous woman i've ever seen in real life and there's just that strength that just is aura there's an aura there of like wow so well is it my mvp turn yes i'm so glad that teeny put my mvp as her lvp because it really is also an lvp but it also is the mvp and that is the people i mean it's up to us yeah yeah that's that's the, like that's there are many great things about being a human being you know there's we're at the top of the food chain like we're not crickets like everything eats crickets we're not a cricket but there's also that thing of like we just refuse to get our shit together and yes. we keep there we keep getting chance after chance after chance but he says it where there's people there's power and it's just like when when will it and people are like oh maybe now maybe now do you see do you see what capitalism run amok has done because i'm not i am not for complete socialism but guess what i kind of like that there's a fixed price on <laughs> electricity and there there's yeah. there are just certain human things that shouldn't be dictated by turning a profit there's plenty of things that like profit should run and that mm -hmm. and it should be about that and the profit and, and letting you know the dollar decide but there are certain things where that is not advantageous to the people of exactly. it being run for a profit exactly oh and one of the things that in the interview um they call it like kept calling her mama akua she was saying that like I like talking about what she wants people to get out of the film. And she was like, I hope like, don't, I hope people don't sit here and be like, Oh, well, if I was around when I was, if I were a black Panther, I would have done yeah. this. She was like, because mm -hmm. when I, when we were there, it was, Oh, well, if I had been a slave, this is what I would have done. And then mm -hmm. she, you know, it's like all about, okay, well now what are we going to do? Yeah, And you have more, like, the one of the, it's the yin and the yang, is that we do have so much information at our fingertips to get to the truth and what is, is real and to crunch numbers. But then the people who it is in their best interest for you not to know that information and they have the money to change the way, that's also there. Because it's like we said, when we were young, you weren't talking about the Black Panther. Like, the Black Panthers were, they were scary and they hated white people. And that's not, that's not the story and that's not the truth. But the downside of that is all this other bullshit. And you have to, to do your home homework and due diligence and really sift out and say, like, follow the money. And why, why does this person want me to think this? What it, who is it benefiting? And never rely on just one news source that usually says what you want to hear. 
Because there's a lot of things that like the Black Panther said in this movie that I don't agree with, but there's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff in it that I'm like, oh, I do agree with that. You're not going to mm-hmm. agree with 100% of everything that everybody says. It's just not possible. It's, right. <clears throat> we are to recast. Okay. I did two. So I didn't do one initially <gasps> because I felt like it had just been done and how do you recast? So I went back. I did a recast. I did. What do you call it? The all time? A reverse An all time oh. recasting. Would you like me to do that now? Well, wait. Let me do mine because mine, everybody's going to be like, I don't know who these people are because I did. I recasted this if it had been appropriate ages which would never have oh, been made oh, wow. so i had okay. to look for actors who kind of would have been in the right age range to portray the two okay. main people Let's go with it. so for bill who is the informant i cast alex r hibbert and you may know him because he was little in moonlight he was the youngest mm. and so like you know because Bill was like 17 years old when he got caught up. So you're just kind of doing the math out. And it's like, so we're talking about little in the moonlight, him being 17 and just, just to like, that's how much of a kid this guy is, you know, which really, it really puts the point in, but Warner brothers is not distributing that film. That's true. And then for Fred, I have an actor. His name is miles Truitt. And he played a young Ronnie DeVoe in uh, the New Edition story. And he was also in Queen Sugar as Fred Hampton Jr. So you only did those two? Yeah. I mean, it was really, it's really hard because I I understand. You're like, I don't really. And and Daniel Kaluuya and. Keith Stanfield are such talented actors that it's really hard to try to cast 17 and 20 year old actors where I'm like, I didn't have them send me tape. <laughs> Let me see your Agreed. tape. <laughs> Agreed. I totally, that's why I went to the old school. Mm-hmm. You want me to do my old school? Wait, I have a question. So your old school, when you cast it, are you casting their 17 and 20 year old or are you casting it would kind of be in this age range where they're late 20s because they have that experience under their belt i'm going with people who were popular actors in oh okay of the time so my Oh, he would have been really good. We haven't done a Steve McQueen movie, have we? I knew it was going to be Rufiti! She would have been so good! Are you going to go Ozzy Davis? Yeah. You're Bill. Well, Bill is Harry Belafonte. Whoa, that's pretty good because Harry Belafonte is so likable. Yes. As is, is 
Oh man. That's good. I only have one cast. No, I only did the oh the two rolls. My bad. Ooh. I've I forgot my bad reheatable was Martin Sheen's makeup. I it was very distracting. <laughs> They made him look like the penguin in Batman Returns. Because when I watched F the FBI versus, you know, MLK FBI, Hoover had those bug eyes. And they really did not nail the bug eyeness of Hoover. They just, they just kind of went with um, liver spot old evil. Like, you know, like just bad guy. Yeah. I will elevate J. Edgar Hoover to fuckboy status. I second that in mo that uh, nomination. Yes. No. Shaka King is the director. Mm 
Was that wait? Was that Jake Winters when he? Because it was because Jimmy Jake Winters was a real person, but Jimmy Palmer was an amalgamation. So was it when Jimmy Palmer went in with the cops? Because that was the scene that when I first watched it, I I was like, oh wait, and then the second time I was like, oh the the cops shot first at him, but then I forget when um when Winters, who was a real person, when he um you know gets the cops called on him and then all of that, I think that's what you're talking about, right? I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. But either way, the. In both instances, the cops shot first. The last tasty tidbit I have has to do with, once again, um, Fred Hampton Jr.'s involvement and, like, influence in the filming of everything. So the scene where they go in, their name was the Young Patriots, the poor Mm -hmm. white guys. So the scene where they, like, go in there and Fred Hampton's talking to them, um... They originally shot it, and he was sitting in a chair and, like, Mm. looking up. I don't know the guy's name, and there was the Confederate flag behind him. Yes. And so when they showed it to to Fred Jr., he was like, why would you do that? Like, you can't have, like, you shouldn't have him looking up. So then they they were like, well, I guess we can refilm it. And so they refilmed the whole entire scene. And then they have the guy who's in charge of the Young Patriots, like, stepping down off of the stage, and they're standing on equal ground, and they shot, oh. reshot the entire scene. Oh, good. That's but see- it was things like that that he, like, was literally involved with the entire filming, and there are a lot of things that he was able to change, but something I, you know, I think that's why I'm enjoying the podcast. I highly recommend it. They're only on episode two, so there's new episodes coming out, but it's... They talk about, like, the first episode talks a little bit about, like, um, Fred Hampton's early life, which the movie doesn't really get into, Uh which I guess would be more of nerd alert, but, Mm -hmm. like, they talk about how um, it is believed that his phone was tapped by the FBI when he was 14 years old, which is insane. Wow. Um, oh, he would have been on the radar. Yeah, he would. He went to some high school, and he was really instrumental in keeping and bringing, like, doing what he did um, with, you know, the Rainbow Coalition. He was doing that with the mm-hmm. high school, and once yeah, he, he went to like really in, um, integrated high school at the time. Mm-hmm. And then once he graduated, that the school brought him back after Martin Luther King, I think, was assassinated to try to. Um, you know, continue and because it was just getting out of hand and it was like bringing Fred to get these groups back, you know, onto some sort of common ground. And then I think like after he was killed, they had to just like cancel classes for weeks because it was just out of control. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was also involved in the NAACP, one of their chapters, but you know, I think he was the president of the chapter that he was in. mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's why the, highly recommend this podcast they talk about like that but then also they have good like i think next episode they're interviewing daniel kalua so that will be a good one but it's a good mix of like real history but also like how that ties into the movie and like decisions Uh they made and it's very interesting Mm -hmm. what's the name of it 
It's called Judas and the Black Messiah Podcast. Well, there you go. Okay, perfect. And there's another, so, I started listening to, Michael Moore has a podcast called Rumble, and he had, um, he did an episode on it with uh, some interviews. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, Aaron? Oh, mine. Um, I think I already mentioned how the, the crowns were a fictitious combo of different groups, like the Brown Berets, the Red Guard Party, the American Indian Movement, Students for a Democratic Society, the... Uh, what were they? The Peace Stones and the Disciples. There's, There was actually a great website I stumbled across called... It's something like Gangs of Chicago, and it's a website. And it's really well laid out. And it that's where I went for the Henry Horner Projects information. And they have all of the different neighborhoods broken down. And they kind of give all of the different gangs and all of that kind of thing. So it, it's, it's a very impressive website that's very interesting um let me see okay so jimmy palmer he was the one that was played the really skinny guy that was played by ashton sanders who would Uh was in moonlight he represents um this is per newsday so there actually wasn't a specific jimmy palmer he is more of an amalgamation of all these different black panther um people because 10 Black Panthers were killed by police from April 1968 to December 4th, 1969. So from the time Martin Luther King wow. was assassinated to the time that Fred Hampton was assassinated, they, Newsweek said that 10 Black Panthers were killed by the police. Um, Black Panther's attorney, Charles Gary, said that in a two-year span, 28 Black Panthers were killed by uh-huh. police. Um, sure. And then that kind of brought in, I mentioned it earlier, but uh, Manuel Ramos's grandson, um, Uh that op-ed that he wrote, he talked about just because they didn't really ever talk about, you know, Manuel as a person and who he was. And he says that his father told him as he was growing up that it was better to be beaten for 48 hours then to say because his the father was always like the only thing that you ever say to the police is I want a lawyer I want a lawyer I want a lawyer you do not say anything else other than those words I want a lawyer I want a lawyer and he said it didn't matter how much they beat you they could beat you for 48 straight hours that was better than spending your life in prison because Uh of you know because you want the beatings to stop. He was basically like, yeah, take your 48-hour beating and don't say anything because it's better than life in prison, which is a really fucked up thing to have to tell your son. Right. (laughs) Get your, just take your ass beating for 48 hours and it's better than life in prison. And And better than being the snitch. Yeah, and better than than taking the you know what the life, what you think is a life vest being thrown from this benevolent Uh man, which turns out to be nothing but a weight around your neck. This was interesting. The only election that Barack Obama ever lost in his political career, I guess thus far. Although you you run for president, are you gonna run for something else? I doubt it. 
But the only election that Barack Obama ever lost was to Bobby Rush. It was as the Democratic district primary in 2000. And Bobby Rush, to this day, is um, the a United States representative for the state of Illinois. And that night, he didn't get killed because he just happened to go back to his apartment that night. Wow. Damn. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Clark was the other man that was killed along with Fred Hampton that morning. And you know, they kind of, in that documentary that's on Amazon Prime, they show it. The police say that they fired the shots because, of course... You know, they were fired upon first, but uh-huh. it was 99 to one. And yeah. Mark Clark was the, the one shot that was fired and 99 bullet holes. Like you go into the apartment and you just see all the bullet holes are going in one direction. And it just kind right. of, I mean, that resonates now. You think mm-hmm. all those bullet shots to one, what does that, that it just reminds me of Breonna Taylor. There was the one shot and then just everything lit up, completely lit up. Um, Jaden Smith and O'Shea Jackson were attached at, well, not attached, but like floated around to be the leads in the film. And F. Gary Gray was attached to direct it. And that was a version because there had been two different versions of uh, Fred Hampton biopic going around and, the Will Burston version had those two kind of loosely attached to it. Um, but then it kind of fell through. And then the Lucas brothers, they had their own idea and they kind of pitched it as the conformist meets the departed. And the conformist is a Bertolucci film. And, and that, you know, that kind of piqued everybody's interest because those are two films that, that film people know. And they're like, Oh, this mm-hmm. is, oh, it's going to be this psychological thriller. It's not going to... I mean, that's how the movie gets made, is that it's going to be like this and this. And so eventually, those that the F. Gary Gray project, um, it kind of fizzled out, and so they were able to kind of rewrite... Uh, the Lucas Brothers were able to rewrite with Will Benson and Shaka King, and, and that's how like the whole thing came together. Um... I thought it was crazy. I, I know you'll get to it, but with the the Hoover, that he was the director of the FBI from 1924 to 1972, which is yeah. 48 years. Yeah, so, there's a reason for that. Okay, because I have why. So I'm I'm interested nah. in hearing that. Uh-huh. Um, and it was shot in Cleveland from. October 21st, 2019, and they wrapped up photography December 19th, 2019, and they began oh, editing. Right before COVID. Yeah, they began editing in 2020, and most of the post-production work was actually done remotely to get the film done. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. And um, my last one is in regards to Bill O'Neill, I think I mentioned it earlier that he drove the stolen car across state lines and that was what, you know, why he was facing such a a, a felony and and why the FBI was kind of brought in too because that's a federal charge when you take stolen property against across state lines. 
it was re- it wasn't revealed until 1973 in an article by the Chicago Tribune. It was a front page story that outed Bill O'Neill as a uh, as a paid informant for the FBI. Oh, wow. And after that, in 1973, so the FBI snatched him up off the street and put him into witness protection program. And then in 1984, he kind of secretly returned back to Chicago and stuff. And and not much is really known about him. And it has to be just really wild. I mean, the, the guy, I, I forget where I read it, but the guy that was the Black Panther's attorney was like, when he found out and read that in 1973, was just like, what? Bill? Yeah. What? And, man, so. Wild. Because Bill was good at deflecting and and um, putting blame on other people to be the rat. Yeah, but you just it, it just gets into that whole thing of he's in survival mode. Of oh yeah, yeah. Who wouldn't be? Okay, um, this is the fiftieth anniversary of the real poisoning of Fred Hampton. I guess twenty twenty one. The real poisoning? Um, what do you mean? Because how they gave him, like, poison, and that's why he couldn't... It was, like, Seca yes. Barbi... Some drug I'm sure you've had, Ma. No, Aaron Bush. <laughs> Probably, but let's not go there because I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so that immobilized him so that he couldn't get up and try to save himself, mm-hmm. is, what, is my understanding. At least that's what they told Bill O'Neill, but maybe that did indeed kill him and well i don't i mean from what i mean you know miss mama nigiri was there so and she's trying to wake him up i would think that she she had a first-hand account of like yeah he was out of it he was he was drugged i so i don't think that 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 it sounds about on par with what they would do they had Bill O'Neill wear lots of green because green is the color of greed and capitalism. Mm. Mm. And they showed that all of the different chapters that came, came, you know, they wanted one umbrella of, of all of the groups coming together. So each chapter wore different colors of berets and different uniforms. The Rainbow Coalition. Exactly. Okay, so I did a deep dive into J. Edgar Hoover. And you did this without watching the movie MLK FBI, right? You haven't even seen that yet. So in 1955, well, J. Edgar Hoover, like, founded the FBI. Mm -hmm. And just like Hitler, there is a parallel they did some good things before they started doing some horrible things. So J. Edgar Hoover started the FBI, which was, you know, Federal Bureau of Investigation to be able to investigate things that local jurisdictions couldn't, like they did um, fingerprinting and databases and that kind of stuff. In 1955, they started monitoring Martin Luther King. And they felt he was a communist. Well, because he was, um, 
if I may just fill in from what I saw last night in the movie, because he started affiliate. That was about the time of the bus boycotts. Um, and he was affiliated with a Jewish man. I believe his last name was Levinson. And this man had ties to the communist party and Martin Luther King was, and he, he's one of the un, uh, heralded heroes of the, like of the civil rights movement but he also did have ties to straight up communism and it was because of those ties that that's when martin luther king and because of the the whole bus boycott and because of just how crazy successful that whole thing was that they were like well who is he is he the black messiah and so then they started tapping his like keeping watch on martin luther king jr because they wanted to show that he had ties to communism and it was through this guy that he had ties to communism with and then when it was when the kennedys were in office they kind of told martin luther king hey you need to not hang around this guy because hoover you know he's a communist and that's gonna put you on with the fbi but like we have your back so just kind of kick this guy, other guy to the curb but Martin Luther King didn't really think that the the danger you know that this guy was spouting who was his buddy and his friend it was like well like who like no he's not like what does it even matter I'm I'm talking about bigger problems than this pinko shit like what are uh-huh, you talking about uh-huh. but that because communism was the word in the 50s mm-hmm. like all you had to do was say someone was communist and uh, cancel culture was all over that well, how many times have we been like yeah this person was blacklisted yeah this was yeah. the movie they made because mm-hmm. they got blacklisted so in 1956 this dude trm howard criticized the fbi's failure to investigate racially motivated murders such as George W. Lee of the NAACP, Lamar Smith, who was a World War I veteran, and he was working on black voter registration, and Emmett Till. Well, that pissed off J. Edgar Hoover. So in the 60s, they were monitoring John Lennon, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, the Nation of Islam, the Black Panther Party, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was Martin Luther King. In 1964, the FBI sent anonymous letters to, uh, an anonymous letter to MLK to commit suicide because well, because by had found- yeah, by that time they had bugged. They they knew what hotel rooms he was gonna be in. They bugged the hotel rooms. They bugged his phone. They bugged all these things, and so they had audio recording of him with women who were not Coretta Scott King. Exactly. And they sent that recording and it went and Coretta Scott King heard it and then, you know, was like, what is this? And went to Martin Luther King and, you know, basically they were like, you know what you have to do. And in the movie, that they leave the you-know-what-you-have-to-do. And everybody's like, everybody thought that was that he needs to kill himself or else this is going to come out. And meanwhile, it's kind of like, he's a preacher. (laughs) That's the kind of thing, like, I don't want to speak out of turn or or label anybody, but 
isn't that kind of the unwritten rule of the black church is like preacher gonna do preacher things so um j edgar hoover personally intervened to prevent the prosecutions of the kkk bombing of the 16th street baptist church the evidence was so strong that they said even an alabama jury would convict but there were no prosecutions due to j edgar hoover and in 1968 they closed the case and the entire file was sealed by j edgar hoover mm-hmm. those are the four little girls that i read their names before because that was a whole i purposely did that because angela davis said their names like say their names their names are going to go down in history as the four little girls and they had four names say their names and we are still saying their names 19 uh then the warren commission came out and it criticized the fbi for reluctance to investigate thoroughly the possibility of conspiracies to assassinate john f kennedy Mm -hmm. because of the abuses of power of j edgar hoover they have since uh said that fbi directors are limited to 10 years it was when j when martin luther king came out against the war in vietnam that somehow this is my personal take on these events from living through them and the research i've done when martin luther king was doing his civil rights stuff keep an eye on him keep an eye on him as soon as he came out against the war in vietnam that's when he was assassinated that's when his security was not so great anymore and he was assassinated vietnam was making some people extremely rich sound familiar and this is this is going on also like with fred hampton and it happened and also like with muhammad ali and you'll see it Mm -hmm. in the mlk fbi movie that Mm -hmm. he actually martin luther king actually does come out and say things against the vietnam war but Mm -hmm. he's he's like very hush like no good hey 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 you're making it hot you're making it hot for your man Mm -hmm. like and so he like backs off of it but then it was around late 1967, early 1968, he was, he was at an airport and he bought magazines and he saw pictures of what the U.S. bombs were doing to Vietnamese and Cambodian children. These horrendous pictures of just kids burned, they just burned the fuck up, like just fucked With up napalm. shit. With mm-hmm. napalm. And he was like, I can't not say, like, I I'm for nonviolence. Yeah, yeah, I'm for nonviolence. And this is violence. And I can't not say anything. And that on April 4th, when at the Lorraine Motel, there are, like, in the movie, there are FBI agents who are, like, looking at each other going, like, was that us? Because he was under surveillance from the FBI. Yes, he was. And it's like, we didn't know about james earl ray and it kind of then goes into the whole thing where there's there's fbi agents who are like that guy is not the guy who did it it's just really crazy and it's 
20 in the year 2027 because right now it's all of the the uh, transcripts that they've scanned and that that's what's coming out and that's how we're hearing that the FBI had all these tapes but in 2027 that's when the tapes get released and that's when, do, when you when can do hear the tapes of the um, Kennedy's assassination get released I think those tapes are when everybody involved in it is dead Dead. which is 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 coming yeah. up like it's it's around it's the corner yeah. but yeah like because because they had it's they had so many microphones and bugs and so many informants uh-huh. around him that it is kind of odd of like how did this happen under uh-huh. our watch and so then once he got assassinated because that's what martin luther king does he turns the tables on the fbi Cause he didn't go after J Edgar Hoover until Hoover came after him. And then he's like, why didn't you prosecute in the bombings? You know, of the four little girls, why didn't you do this, this, and this? And then when he gets killed, then everybody's like, yo, you all were, you all have tapes and you were monitoring him and you didn't know that this guy was like, and you pulled, like, why didn't you protect him? What's going on? And so then that's why they got James Earl Ray. Cause Cause it looked like he had egg on his face and he was like, well, you need to show that you're the FBI and you can do some investigating and hunt somebody down. And then lo and behold, Scotland Yard picks up James Earl Ray and brings him back. And there's a lot of FBI agents going, what just happened here? Exactly. So does anybody else have anything to add? I think that's everything. I don't. Well, that is Judas and the Black Messiah. A lot to unpack. And, and when you watch it, you'll have even more to unpack because there are things that you're going to go, what? what? Which is great because it's on one hand, it's just such a great movie of, of, of the stoolies and the, the psychological thriller of that. And then go in and do some research about like, well, wait, yes. what was this? What was this? Yes. 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 and amazing performance has been nominated for several things but i didn't go into that not enough not enough next week it is on me to pick a movie what is the people picking but i did not pick the one you think i picked oh i thought you were gonna say you didn't pick a movie oh yeah (laughs) i did christine it is a 1989 film. <clears throat> oh, look at them Googling. Googling Wait a second. Are... Is it a comedy? I'm not. I won't have any guesses. It is not. Oh, it's not a comedy? 1989? I thought you were you were setting us up for the Coming to America sequel. It is the most powerful and historically accurate movie about a war ever Glory! Made. Two hours and two minutes, Christine. Okay, that's three minutes less than this week. We are going to see the greatest. I put it up there with the greatest scene. It is always referenced. It is Denzel Washington and the single teardrop. Single teardrop. We are going to the Civil War. And we are seeing the uh, first African-American regiment of the 5th 
Massachusetts Voluntary Infantry. I don't know who wrote it, but I do know that it was not directed by a black person. It was not, because it was 1989. Mm -hmm. And I, I probably, uh, fair to believe, it was not written also, but... I'm pretty oh, glory. sure. I thought you were saying Lori. Like, <laughs> glory. Okay. Glory. Matthew Broderick. I've never heard of this movie. Matthew Broderick's in it. Denzel Washington. Morgan Freeman. Oh, wow. Yes. I'm sure Andre there's other Brower. people. Yes. So I saw this movie in high school. They showed it to us. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Because I'll bet your brother... I don't know if your brother's ever seen it. I remember when it came out because I was nine years old. So I remember it was a big deal when it came out. Yes. I remember seeing it in high school. I'm assuming we rented it from Blockbuster. Yes, it, we definitely rented it. It was We definitely watched it as a family, and I definitely watched it in school. Which is so odd because I went to the school where it was just about states' rights. So that's interesting. I have brought that up to Dr. Wagner who was a longtime Fairfax County teacher and uh, yeah, brought up how you are still pissed that they taught you the civil war was about states' rights. What did she say? My bad. <laughs> well, no, she is, she is embracing what I have brought to her. She, she has read cast. She's the one that encouraged me to buy the Wilmington lie. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so, she is really working hard on um, uh, opening her horizons. I mean, I will say that in my teacher's defense, like she always, it was like slavery was always there, but it, but she also kind of had to say the states' rights thing, and it was a little. He had to do the Fairfax County Public Schools yeah. curriculum. But but she like but she also was like but that but slavery was a part of it like she did oh. always say that so I did get that but it's just the just like really guys yeah the lie the lie just the just the, the sheer gaslighting yes that it's it's just nice it is nice being in California there is a bunch of things named for people that maybe it shouldn't be named for. But yeah, you know, you don't really see the Calhouns and the Lees that much out here, which is nice. The Stewarts. The Stewarts. <clears throat> the Long Streets. The Lees. Yeah, the okay. Hoods. Not so much. Next week, we are doing Glory. This week, Judas and the Black Messiah. We hope you enjoyed our episode, and we will see you next week. There you go. Bye-bye.